everybody. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to the first of what we're going to be called the Make Ours Marvel Mailbag. That's right. This is our chance to read what you, the listeners, have been writing to us over the last few months of our episodes. Yeah, we have uh, uh, quite a few in our queue because, as we always talk about, we're so far ahead. So sometimes it takes a while for these episodes to come out. And uh, I thought we maybe should stop and address them before we keep going and forget what we, what it is we even talked about. <laughs> <laughs> as we're recording this, uh, 13 episodes have dropped. If all goes well, you're going to hear this alongside episode 14, so you should definitely download that as well this week. And um, I think what Mike and I have decided to do is we're going to kind of go, uh, we're going to go through the email box and the um, website comments first, and then we're going to kind of hit all the little Facebook and Twitter comments um, more and more rapid fire. Right. Just like Twitter. Just like Twitter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, we'll just dig right in here. And um, do you want to take Aaron or should I take Aaron? You go ahead. All right. Well, Aaron Head Moss is our first emailer. Yeah. And thank you for emailing. He says, first episode, currently listening to your first episode. I must say it's fantastic. I see what he did also, there. These, yeah, right. Um, we, he could have read, wait till the fourth episode to yeah. say, it was, yeah. Also, the scroll cows show back up and they kind of address your questions in the first episode in a 90s series called The Scroll Kill Crew. Um, <laughs> so I was a little bit mixed up on my facts there. I thought, and I made the joke at the end of the episode about them like turning the cows into hamburgers or whatever. Uh-huh. But I think it w- I found out later, and if I remember the conversation right, it was the milk. It was milk from those cows. That is so much worse somehow, in a way. Right? But, uh, yeah. Scroll milk? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, thank you, Aaron. Let's move on to uh, our next guy was from Mike, I want to say Staley. That is correct. It is Staley. All right. Mike Staley is covering the first three episodes in his letter to us. He says, hey, guys, love the first episodes. You mentioned the gargoyle as evidence that being ugly was seen as monstrous. You're right. That was even shown in the first FF book. I don't remember the exact quote, but Reed mentions that the mole man staying below ground is better because there's no place for him in the surface world. Really looking forward to seeing how you guys process through Marvel's history, especially when you get to Tales of Suspense 39. I remember covering that story myself, and it's pretty fun. Keep up the great work. Of course, he neglected to say where he covered it, so if you know where he covered it, you should plug him. Um, I, I, I was ah. on one of his episodes too. I should have looked this up. Mike, I've forgotten the name of your podcast. I feel terrible. Um, I may go find that and insert it right here. Um, but yeah, he had a podcast about Iron Man and okay. I got to be on there with the episode where Iron Man and Captain America duped ah, it out. And 58. Suspense 58. Yep. You've talked about that a few times and one more time coming up. Yeah. We're <laughs> at least one more. <laughs> Um, there is one comic not too far in the future that every time I read it, I think it's going to be the last time I read it, and I'm glad. <laughs> but no, we're no. going to do it one more time. Yeah. I won't spoil, but when we get there, I'm going to identify this as the one. Um, but yeah, so the gargoyle, and, and you know, ugly as monstrous and, and ugly as evil is just one of those tropes of humanity and, and storytelling that I think is, is way past being put to bed and, and never used again. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I was just trying to think right now of like some modern 
science fiction-y ideas. And, you know, the, the ugly guy in Doctor Who is still usually a bad guy for some reason. But uh, mm-hmm. but then again, he doesn't always assume they're bad guys. So that's the difference, maybe. I don't know. The Doctor is usually pretty good about that. Yeah. Usually, not always. <laughs> right. Um, okay. Catherine Borden. He, she, sorry, writes, hey, enjoying the podcast so far, but I wanted you to know. Oh, wait, no, this is just telling us that there's a repeat. All right. The next one I have is um, Danny Nielsen. Okay. So, Catherine, I hope everything worked out and you're hearing the show fine now. It did. Uh, We figured it out. Yay. My my error. Um, Write us in again, Catherine. We can can read your email. Danny Nielsen writes about – no, that's about the New 52 Adventures show. Oh, no. You need to answer that one, though. I like that one. Oh, okay. 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 (laughs) He says, hi, sorry to email to this show, but I wasn't sure how to get in touch with you on otherwise – I was hoping to dive into some new adventures of Superman podcast episodes, but it looks like all the links are dead. Is there any way to listen to this show? Um, Sadly, all of my old shows are currently defunct. I do have a friend who says he has copies of all the episodes, so I may be able to revive them if I can figure out a venue in which to do that. Um, But I will not be returning to New 52 Adventures of Superman, uh, and I don't have any plans to continue podcasting about modern Superman I just don't know what I would say about it, although I am enjoying the opening miniseries that Bendis did, The Man of Steel. Um, so I do think that Amazing Spider-Man Classics has been put up at the um, Spidey Dude website where the Clone Saga Chronicles is are, are hosted. I do want to preface that by saying my, my sensibilities about humor have changed a bit since I did that show. And I'm a bit more crass in ways that I would not be so freely public about doing nowadays. So definitely check that uh, one out. Please excuse me. Huh? (laughs) Definitely check that one out is what you're saying? (laughs) Definitely check out when you were crass. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not to twist your arm about New 52, but now that there's an actual end to that Superman, you could just finish off that series and have a podcast that's complete. I could. I could. You're right. I don't think I will. Okay. But I, w- I, I, I would be lying if I saying that thought hadn't occurred to me. I, I, I've thought about it, but... I mean, not I just, that there's I, anything wrong with never-ending podcasts like this one, of course. Right. That will never finish, but it might be nice sometime in our life to have something there where it's like, hey, we did all 10 episodes and we covered it and we're done. Right. Or all 150 episodes. That's or all, all right. <laughs> okay. So I hope that answers your question, Danny. Um... Next up, we have Oliver Villar, who wants to talk about episode four. He says, hi, John and Michael. I'm really enjoying the show so far. This is a very bold project you both are undertaking. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I listened to episode four, and Spider-Man is my favorite Marvel character. Okay, so I'm done with this letter. No, just kidding. And comic book character of all time. There's a part where you're pointing out the retcons in Amazing Fantasy number 15. And one retcon I'm sure you may have forgotten was the one in Amazing Spider-Man number 250, which reveals that Peter has been Spider-Man since his sophomore year in high school, which may have influenced the comment Peter makes in Civil War number 2 about being Spider-Man since he was 15. Keep up the great work, guys. So thank you, Oliver. Yeah, I love extra bits of continuity like that. I have read Amazing Spider-Man 240. I don't recall that specific comment, um, but the Civil War 2 is one I referenced on the show. So that was already established whenever Mark Miller used it for Civil War, which is cool. I I didn't know that. I remembered you talking about him being retcon yonder. So yeah, now we have the actual issue. So I mean, as it was written at the time, uh, he's definitely a senior in high school throughout all that. Right, right. But 
But yeah. Um, okay. Next is May 6th. Oh, Catherine did write in again. Hey, Catherine. Mm-hmm. She says, this is my second message to you guys. I meant to send it before my first, but got busy and forgot. In your first or second episode, you talk about the scroll turned into cows and muse about what would happen if they were slaughtered. I don't know if that was the two of you making a subtle reference to later events. Hint, hint. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the scroll cows were later, depending on your read of events, which are slightly muddled, turned into milkers that gave those who drank their milk shape-changing abilities, or alternatively, slaughtered and turned into meat that was capable of causing mutations in humans. Uh, and she has a link to the Marvel Wikia site for scroll cows, which have their own page. You can find more about this nuts part of Marvel history here. Have a great day. So, yeah. Um, sorry, Catherine, to spoil your thunder. I guess you were the one who helped me understand that. Um. So that's amazing to me that I guess if you're just a human and you eat a scroll or consume scroll milk, you get powers. I just like guess. guaranteed. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So if you want powers, go find some scroll milk. <laughs> <laughs> that's a t-shirt. <laughs> you know what? Every time we talk about this, all did you see The Last Jedi? Yeah. Every time we talk about scroll milk on this episode, like the six times we've mentioned it, I've pictured when he drinks like alien milk. <laughs> oh, yeah. That really upset a lot of people, didn't it? <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious, too. I don't get why everybody's so serious about it. But anyway. Because the internet is dumb. Yeah. Um, should we skip over to the comments? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. We haven't finished our emails. We're going to kind of intersperse them with some comments. Yeah, one of our, uh, one of our um, frequent commenters likes to do it on the website so we'll switch over to that a little bit this is from al sedano it says hey guys loving the new show i think i first heard you both on the mighty shield so it's nice to have you back again at last and at last i will get more silver age cap you know what's hilarious about that is he and john and i have both talked about the fact that we'll probably be covering issues we've already covered so we'll see how that goes (laughs) when we get to it okay A few thoughts on FF1 and 2. FF number 1. I'm pretty sure that the issue that printed Stan's original notes about the FF were in issue 358. That's the one where they went to rescue someone that Johnny had married. Spoilers. Who had been replaced by a skull. Scroll, I assume he means. As for the idea that Marvel was stealing the concept of Plastic Man, I say, so what? I'm pretty sure I read that the only reason Elongated Man was created was because they wanted a Plastic Man type character that didn't realize... And didn't realize they owned him at the time. Plus, I'm sure there were some older fans at the time that thought Barry Allen and Hal Jordan were ripoffs of Jay Garrick and Alan Scott. Alan Scott, except for the powers, and even those are a bit different. Reed is completely different, a completely different character from Plastic Man, Ralph, or even Jimmy Olsen. Um, FF number two, the monsters on Monster Isle are deviants. I never knew that. Also, Marvel Monster Isle is still around. The Infinity Watch makes it their headquarters in Warlock and the Infinity Watch number seven. Which John, I am. I'm in the middle of reading that series because uh, that's yeah. where I am in my 90s reading. Uh-huh. So, yeah, um, that was I think that's where I knew Monster Isle from before I first read the FF Marvel Masterworks. Yeah. And I read those when they first came out. So maybe somewhere in the back of my brain, I remember that too, but probably not. Um, He finishes. Johnny is definitely still in high school. I believe they established he is 16. Finally, we will get more on the skull cows in the nineties with Grant Morrison's skull kill crew. Mini man, those skull cows sure are popular. Yes. Um, 
And I didn't know that Grant Morrison wrote that Scroll Kill Crew miniseries. I am a Grant Morrison fan, so um, looking forward to reading that at some point. Um, and um, as for Plastic Man ripping off Plastic Man, I'm absolutely fine with So What? Um, I don't know if I said that in the email, but I just like to point out where I think they get their ideas from, but that doesn't mean I think it's necessarily a bad thing. I've always felt that Marvel takes some idea that maybe DC established and then puts it their own take on it, often very successful take on it. So, um, yeah, I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't care where they rip off DC, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what, I w- of course I wasn't there at the time and the only record we have is the letters pages, but I don't know of any DC fans thinking that DC was ripping off themselves with the new flash and green lantern. The only, uh, letter column evidence we have is that they were nice to see the re- ideas returned to and then whenever the JSA or whenever Flash actually started going over to see the other Flash there was rejoicing and finally the JSA was brought back there was more rejoicing so maybe because um, we, as we know fandom has a variety of people in it but and and the Marvel version of that is the Human Torch Johnny right versus um, the Android and of the of the letter pages I've read, and I'll admit I haven't read them all. I didn't I didn't see anybody say, you know, hey, you're ripping off your old World War II idea, or even mentioning the World War II idea. So right, who knows? So Al Sedano's next comment, and um, we didn't say, but Al Sedano is the host of the Resurrections Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, on which I'm a frequent co-host. Uh-huh. So um, uh, Adam Warlock is one of my favorite lower tier Marvel characters. Uh, so I, I enjoy talking about him and, um, okay. He says about episode two, Hey guys, still enjoying the show. And like last time here, a few thoughts I had while listening tales to astonish 27 Dave, Dave, the ant. Um, that's a running joke that my daughter and I had back on Avengers oh. inspirations. Okay. So every time, uh, Henry Pym, uh, had an ant friend, it was always Dave. Um, and when the ant dies is like, Dave is dead. Long live Dave, because there are more, always more ant friends. An excellent t-shirt idea. <laughs> also, I had spent years trying to forget that French class joke from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and now you put it back in my head. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Fantastic Four 3, Miracle Mr. Mystery Man. Who cares? Good cover, though. Fantastic Four number four. I think Sue would know who Namor was. Remember, this came out in 1962. Johnny was 16. So this time he'd be born in 1946, and Sue has to be at least 20, which means she was born in 1942 or earlier. Namor's comic was still published until 1949, so he must have been around in their world until then. That means Sue would have seen newsreels and articles about him until she was seven. Completely believable that she would remember him. Did we rem- Did Was that what happened in the book? I can't even remember now. Uh, she- in issue four, we talked about whether – because he was reading Namor comics. Yeah, he was. But did it comment that she didn't know who that was or did she know? I don't know if maybe it came up in our conversation. Maybe we speculated. Uh, but I like the well, idea that well, Sue would definitely know who that Submariner was. And, and now we've made her older so that Rich isn't, Reed Richards isn't a pedophile. So she'd definitely know. Right, right. <laughs> and as for comics in the Marvel Universe, they did a fifth week event featuring them. Uh, Marvel. So there's a wiki uh, link here to Marvel's – comics group um volume one yeah just clicking the link and, and uh yeah there's an issue about world war two people uh, world war two people zero there's one about fantastic four there's one about daredevil um okay so i guess there's 
this series of people, series of comics about Marvel people reading Marvel comics. That's oh yeah, Captain America, Fantastic Four, Spider Man, Thor, X Men. That's awesome. I got to check those out. I had no idea those existed. He goes on to describe there were six one shots showing the in universe versions of Fantastic Four, Captain America, Daredevil, Spider Man, Thor, and the X Men. I'm pretty sure the penciler for Captain America was listed as Steve Rogers. That makes perfect sense. Right? (laughs) And just to be complete, DC also showed in-universe comic version of Batman in Detective Comics 622 through 625. Wow. That would be interesting. I did not know any of that existed. It's weird being a Marvel Comics fan my entire life and still finding out there were comic series I had never heard of before. Well, when I asked the about that idea on the podcast, I kind of thought, well, if I'm thinking about it, someone must have already done it by now. So I'm glad to know that that did happen. Right. Because it's kind of an obvious idea, especially if they're plugging these comics within their comics. Then, yeah, what do those look like when you don't know the person's real identity and stuff? <laughs> uh, you want to switch back to... To email? Yeah, except I forgot where we left off. Uh, Trey Hooks, Random Thoughts okay. on Episode 6 through 11. All right, I'll try that one. Trey Hooks, Random Thoughts on Episode 6 through 11. Wow, we're getting up there in episodes. All right. Hey, guys, I'm halfway listening through Episode 11, and I thought it was time to send in another email. You've talked a lot about the two basic plots, communists and aliens, and we're starting to get on the cusp of a third, the Scooby-Doo villain or the villain in a padded suit. We've had Comrade X, the Destructor, the Wrecker, not the Thor one, and more. I think the communist stories are just looking for the right character for them, and we won't get that until Iron Man, specifically the early red and gold era around the debut of Happy Hogan and Pepper Potts when it becomes capitalism versus communism. Um, Speaking of Comrade X, I think she changes her name to Madam X, but I remember her and a lot of the Silver Age Ant-Man villains coming back in a West Coast Avengers story. That's crazy to me. Wait, so... I know who Madam X is. Is that supposed to be the same as Comrade X? Because I didn't put that together when I was reading it. But interesting. Isn't Madam X like that? Eh, never mind. We'll get into that some other time. Not, I guess. not, not Madam Mask. Okay. That's who I'm thinking of, probably. The okay. girl with the golden face or whatever. Yeah. Okay. I have a soft spot for Hank and like the attention you guys are giving to him. I thought I would point out. That S&M Studios from FF number 8 stays around in the Marvel Universe. The Fantastic Cast covered its use recently in issues 195-ish of FF, and I think it came up again in Burns' solo run. Uh, The Puppet Master will appear a lot more over the next couple of years, but the inconsistencies here follow him. In FF, in the hands of Lee and Kirby, he looks and acts consistently with the mid-controlling radioactive clay. No one else draws him as well in the early mid 60s and a lot of other writers give him just robots and make him more like DC's Toy Man. So that's that's disappointing. I mean, Puppet Master is already already something I'm not really loving as much as I expected to coming into this, but uh-huh. the idea that they actually avoid the puppets and give him robots but still is, call him Puppet Master. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they did give him a flying robot Pegasus in his first appearance, so I guess it's already established that he likes robots too or something. And I am um, very amused that S&M Studios stuck around, that Submariner kept this company going. Yeah. Well, he is a wealthy guy, I guess, sometimes. I guess. Um, at least in his John Byrne Namer run, he was wealthy. But 
A couple of quick notes on episode 11 or what I've listened to so far. I love Pace Pot Pete and did a spit take when John had the realization that he and Spider-Man have the same shtick. <laughs> One good thing from Strange Tales is the villains it gives us. I, too, have a soft spot for Pete Petruski, but it comes from a 7-Eleven giveaway comic featuring Hulk, Captain America, Spider-Man, and Spider-Woman, which had among the villains Trapster and Enchantress. I played a lot of the TSR Marvel RPG, and whenever a module used the fixer, I would substitute in the Trapster. In regards to creators and comics and DC comics, I think DC was the first to have the notion of comics being in the DC universe. I think as far back as showcase number four, Barry takes the name The Flash, inspired by his favorite character from old Flash comics. Flash number 123, which came out in July of 1961, name-checked Gardner Fox as the writer of Jay Garrick's Adventures on Earth-1 who somehow subconsciously was aware of what was happening on Earth 2. However, I don't think they had creators as characters in the comics before FF number 11. Keep up the great work. So a couple thoughts along uh, through this. I did look up Tales to Astonish, uh, whatever it was, um, 40, 40, no, 36, with Comrade X. And yes, she comes back in West Coast Avengers 33. Ah. So... Um, either I, uh, I guess I completely forgot to look that up or I would have mentioned it in the episode. So, and so in the eighties, they're still struggling with communism, I guess. Yeah. I guess I that would, makes sense. Yeah. Cause it, the wall didn't fall until 89. Yeah. True. Um, and yeah, there is a, there is an issue. I'm looking at that 33 West Coast Avengers. It's called the man in the anthill and wonder man to the rescue. Hmm. Um, there's also ape attack on the cover. It's all these gorillas in uh, suits attacking wonder man and all the other west coast avengers unconscious around them so i don't know what's going on it seems like there's a lot happening in this but um i've never read west coast avengers so i don't i've read some but apparently not that one anyway <laughs> we'll get there we will um a couple <laughs> thoughts on the flash and dc comics using dc comics in the comics uh-huh i used to do a show called golden age superman and I was always amused when somebody in the Action Comics issue would be reading an issue of Action Comics. Mm-hmm. This happened several times in the Zatanna strips. So that, that definitely happens. Um, and the whole Flash inspired by his favorite character from Flash Comics. That's really weird. Well, for one, that's really weird if you take it to the logical conclusion that like all the Golden Age characters existed in comics. And therefore, the Earth One people could read those comics and know about them. And what do you do about the characters who never stopped existing? Like Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. Like, did their characters have comics in Earth One back in the war? It's weird if you think about it too much. Well, I think at the time, though, there was no idea that they had their own universe also, right? That was just like... Well, yeah, yeah. Just, I'm just I like, mean, they did because they were golden age comics but now he they're trying to restart this dc universe and they're like let's just have barry be a fan of the old flash right that was kind of the idea with no idea that that jay garrick would actually coexist with him ever right and i don't know if it was ever established that all the other characters actually had comics or that any of the other characters actually had comics maybe it was just the flash right so i'm so i'm thinking like at least with ff not only what did he say it was the first time um 
123 is where they actually mention Gardner Fox. Well, well, the first time in FF where they actually have the characters or creators in the book, that's one first thing. Oh, yeah. But also Marvel had Johnny reading Hulk comics while Hulk existed. Maybe not in – at the time, they didn't think they were in the same universe or something. But then you also have Johnny reading Namor and then Namor being there two minutes later. So that's kind of like now Marvel's saying not only do we have these characters' comics, but these characters really exist. Right, and in a, a much later episode, as you're listening, but in one we're going to record very soon, as we're recording, um, the Fantastic Four meets the Ant Man, and as soon as he leaves, Thing pulls out a Ant Man comic. Right, right. So, yeah. So in the Marvel universe, people are seeing superheroes and making comics about them. Whereas in DC, I guess it was like, at least at the time, they thought these were just legit comic books, and Flash was a wish fulfillment character or something like that. Only and one le- last. N- Go, Go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say only later to find out that. An alternate dimension was seeping into Gardner Fox's brain, I guess, or something. Right. Well, one last note about that, because this fascinates me, and I think um, Grant Morrison brings out the idea in some of the work that he does. That first crossover between Earth-1 and Earth-2 mm-hmm. is not presented as a crossover between Earth-1 and Earth-2 or different worlds or whatever. It's presented as the Flash going into the world of fiction, where his comics take place. Right. Didn't they talk about how he could vibrate a certain way right. or something? It wasn't totally about traveling by, universes. Yeah. And it's totally done by accident. He's actually doing a demonstration of his powers for um, for Iris at her at, at some kids that she's got, something like that. And um, he actually goes into the world with uh, Keystone City and the other Flash. But the narration of that comic presents it as like, He's going into the world of ideas or the world of stories, the world of fiction, something like that. Mm-hmm. It's not another Earth. And I think that's fascinating, um, the idea of going into a fictional world. Right. But anyways, um, of course, they fleshed that out over time. It became yeah. Earth 2. Which is okay. awesome. It is awesome. I'm going to go grab another Al Sedano comment. Okay. Uh, let's see. We're at episode... Three. Three. Uh-huh. He says, here I am with a few more thoughts on this episode's issues. Incredible Hulk 1. I'm just wondering what American general in the late 50s and early 60s would have given someone named Igor a high security clearance. I don't think Ross did a proper background check. I think he's just quoting us and saying things that he liked. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. He also quotes, speaking of Igor, he will be back. I think most of his other appearances are flashbacks in the issue, but he does play a big part in issue 393. You should be there soon, right? <laughs> okay. When the MPD, the multiple personality disorder story, was brought up by Peter David in the... Oh, no, these are stars, not quotes. Okay, I'm sorry. Because you made the Igor comment on an episode, I thought. Well, I thought you did, but either way, yeah, I remember someone saying it. Or maybe we just maybe we just remember us reading this comment. Maybe. Okay, so yeah, the stars are not quotes, they're stars. So third point, when the multiple personality disorder story was brought up by Peter David in the 80s and 90s, I'm pretty sure it was said that the Hulk's personalities were in a state of flux in the early days, which is why he doesn't have a stable personality in many of these early issues. I know it was said that the Joe Fixit Grey Hulk personality was influencing Banner in a few issues when he forces himself to become the Hulk. That's totally... I believe you. I haven't read those that Peter David run in a long time. I just mostly remember the MPD aspect of it. But yeah, as we've already kind of talked about, they haven't really like honed in on his personality. They keep kind of changing it up all the time in those first six issues. 
But I do like that they later have an explanation of why Banner would keep choosing to become the Hulk. Because at first he really hates the idea, but over the course of the six issues, he's like, oh, got to be the Hulk again. Got to go take care of this problem. Yeah, it's like he was a heroin addict or something. He just had to be the Hulk over and over. So yeah, he was being influenced behind. I mean, you could just argue that with anything, really, in these early issues. That there's someone back there talking in his ear, in his head. Yeah, yeah, that's... He says that hours of unending screaming line creeps me out too. Maybe it's the combined birth cries of all the different hulks. Way to make it creepier, Al. <laughs> right. As my daughter would say, thanks, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rick is an orphan and definitely a professional sidekick. He sidekicks to Hulk, Captain America, the Avengers, Captain Marvel, Rom Space Knight, and Captain Marvel Genus Vel, which is I think the one that um, Morrison wrote. I don't know. Uh, and it's fun. Yeah, I think it was Peter David again, but I could be wrong. Oh, that's right. Peter David had a Captain Marvel story. Um, Morrison's was Marvel Boy. That's what yes, Morrison wrote. yes, yes. Fantastic Four Five. I don't have as many thoughts about this issue, but it's a solid issue. I do wonder if Ben had stayed in the past as Blackbeard, how he would have done once he realized that he would have to kill innocents as a pirate. That Ben, maybe not so upset about it. Yeah. He was kind of in this angry mode still at that point. So maybe that just would have fed into the bad personality he already experienced after turning into the thing and never would have found his humanity again. We're um, in our recording. We're like uh, 16, 17 issues in the Fantastic Four and Ben has already softened oh, yeah. significantly right. from those early issues. Thank you, Alicia. Right. <laughs> okay. Next up, we got Kyle... Slaby? Slabby? Sleeby? I'm going to go with Slaby, I think. Slaby. Makes sense. Good morning, he writes. I just wanted to write in and thank you for starting this podcast. About two months ago, I started getting into comics. I've only been aware of them through some college friends, but the latest series of Marvel and DC movies have gotten me interested lately. So that's interesting because I always wondered about that, you know, whether these movies actually create comic readers. Um, last week, I They stumbled- got me back into comics. Yeah. There's that aspect, but like some of these people like only know these characters through the movies, and I wonder if they ever think, should I go check out a Thor comic? I don't know. Um, Last week, I stumbled upon your podcast while trying to find podcasts that would make me wade these murky waters. Uh Uh-oh. Don't blame us. Starting from the beginning and reading every issue was the type of companion piece I was really looking forward to. But additionally, your presentation and easygoing nature has made it really easy and fun to get listened and fun to get listen for a comic noob like me. I am feeling welcomed into the hobby and can't wait to continue this series. I'm, I've heard that before, that we have an easygoing nature, that we're very affable. I think that just means we don't prepare. That's what they're trying to say. <laughs> but hey, that's we just, okay. We're totally, I mean, I have some things written down, but we're totally talking, talking off our butts on a lot of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm currently listening to the Infinity War recap discussion. Uh, not sure if you can address this in the non-spoiler episode. <laughs> I think we're a little ways away from that. We'll probably be okay. Yeah, it's mid-July. If you haven't seen Infinity War yet, I'm sorry. Um, you probably know what happens anyway. But I'm wondering if this is going to be the last major movie for most of the original Avengers and will kick off the new set once the snap victims are brought back. Once the snap victims are brought back, I can read. Maybe more heroes other than just Cap decide to trade lives to bring the rest back. Plus, pre-snap deaths could be permanent and create interesting storylines mostly thinking quill having to mature in the face of another death of a loved one but it's hollywood so once 
No one's ever truly dead if it means billions in revenues are at stake. Thank you for your time, and I'm excited to keep following your journey. Well, I would say not just Hollywood, but no one's ever dead in comics either, so at least they're following the source material. <laughs> right. um, obviously, we have no insider uh, gossip here. I have heard a lot lately about this idea that all the people who are out of contracts were the ones who didn't disappear in the last movie. And the ones still under contract were the ones who disappeared. So maybe the ones that aren't going to do it anymore do trade their souls or lives or whatever to get back the others. But that doesn't really answer, you know, half of the universe coming back. So I don't know. Um, it's just all guess. As a recording, Mike, have you seen Ant-Man and the Wasp? I haven't yet. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I had never heard the connection that all the people who were stayed alive or at least the majority of them were people who have contracts running out. That's fascinating to me. Because mm-hmm. um, that means they can have one last hurrah mm-hmm. in the efforts to save everyone else, and everyone else is going to keep on going making making Marvel movies. Um, we, It's almost 100% certain that the snap deaths are going to get undone. That's kind of the plot concept of the original Infinity Gauntlet story, is they're trying to get this undone. And they do. So I... I mean, also, unless Spider-Man's not in his upcoming movie, yeah. If that's a Miles Morales movie, I mean, or, Tom Holland is the one who spoiled the name for it. So, Or we're never going to do another Guardians of the Galaxy. That seems unlikely. And, and yet we've heard things about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And we've heard the, the, the just recently on the internet that Doctor Strange sequel was actively confirmed. Yeah. So yeah. these things are happening. Yeah, like we, we we can enjoy the story, we can enjoy the drama, and we can enjoy the pain of seeing them all die at the end of the movie. Enjoying the sense of feel that feel that emotion, but we know they're coming back. <laughs> I'm, I am ninety nine point nine percent certain that Chris Evans is not coming back. But other than that, I have no idea who wants to come back or not come back. So I mean, after Avengers four, yeah, yeah, well, he's I, al- I, he was alive with three still. Yeah, he was alive, but he's done. So, he said he's done. He actually was done. Contract-wise, with the last one, he just decided to do one more to make everybody happy because he thought it was a good exit, he said, or a last you know thing. So I'm pretty sure he's done. But again, there's still that 1%. They could be fooling me. I don't know. Right. But whatever. I, ex- and we, I think we talked about this in the special. I expect to see all three of our primary Avengers exit. Cap, Iron Man, and Thor. I would expect them all have some sort of exit note at the end of Avengers 4. Yep. You heard okay. it here first, kids, or for the 50th time. Right. <laughs> um, Al Sedano comments about episode four. Hulk number two. Yes, Ross is terrible. I'm pretty sure he always stays terrible. Wait until you see what he does at his daughter's second wedding in two or three decades. By the way, sensational She-Hulk 2 has some fun as she fights the Toad Men as well. That's actually a really, really fun run if you like just, you know... If you like Deadpool kind of stuff, where he's breaking the fourth wall and being silly all the time, then John Byrne's She-Hulk is definitely a must-read. Oh, that does raise it in my expectations. Cool. Um, Al says, Amazing Fantasy 15. What else can we say about this issue? It's pretty much a perfect story. One thing that I can't help but think since it was pointed out by Lily, I think, in Avengers Inspirations, is that it's pretty much a supervillain origin. Peter could have so gone the other way and wanted revenge on the world for Uncle Ben if he didn't take responsibility for it himself. I'll agree with that. That's that's a neat idea. And his personality in that issue is totally in keeping with that. Yeah, you could probably say the same thing about a lot of good origins. Like Batman came to mind when you were saying that. 
but they do have mm. some, they do have similar origins in the sense that, that their family members die. But, uh, right. Yeah. That's a good idea. Speaking of uncle Ben, his rice is pretty tasty. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> Speaking of uncle Ben, I can see him being a lot older than Peter's father or is it mother? My dad is one of six kids and there is an over 20 year age gap between his oldest and youngest siblings. I've heard of families like that. Holy cow, the parents. Oh, my grandfather was number 16th. 16th in siblings? Yeah, yeah. so like his first his first brother was probably like his father. Could essentially just be his father, right, at that point. Wow. So, so yeah, and that was probably much more common back in the 60s and before that because, you know, now we all wait till we're 40 to start having our first one because we have to be so precious and perfect about it, but... I guess, you know, less common access to birth control and, and you know. And you need those workers on the farm. And life just isn't as expensive mm-hmm. back then. Yeah. Um, okay. That would make sense for the time that Ben and his – oh, before I go on with Al's email, um, I'm pretty sure that when the Peter Parker's parents come back in the 90s, they confirm that um, it is – Richard and Ben, who are siblings. Uh, so just to confirm this, Peter's father. Okay. Um, that makes sense for the time that Ben and his siblings would have been born based on the year the story was published. Since no other family is mentioned, I wonder if that means all of the others died early, like at five years old or younger. That family really is filled with tragedy. That is also amazing that Aunt May, who is not blood, continued to raise him and like be the most important person in his life and stuff. Yeah. There's actually a beat about that in Ultimate Spider-Man where um, May is just, you know, at home alone a lot while Peter's off doing Spider-Man stuff. And he comes home late and and May just asks him, Peter, do you like me? Yeah. Because, like, they weren't related. She came into his family and she's not his parents and she's not his blood. And and they agree to make a better effort to be better friends going forward, not just caretaker and, you know, Mm -hmm. caretaker uh, one more thing, the Thousand, uh, that's capital T, was the arc in the first three issues of Spider-Man's Tangled Web from 2001. It was supposed to be a series for Spidey, like Legends of the Dark Knight for Batman. Each arc would feature a different creative team telling a story from a different era. This one was by the Hitman creative team of Garth Ennis and John, yes, I know he spells it wrong, <laughs> McCray. I remember it being fun and weird, but Ennis does not like most superheroes except for Superman, so I don't think Spidey comes out looking too great. So what is this in reference to? I don't know what he's talking about. Um, when we're talking about Spider-Man's origin, I mentioned a few ways it was retconned, and one uh, of those is that um, someone there, I think, and it's been a while now, so I think they get bitten by the spider and they like turn into a thousand spiders or something. Oh, right, no, right. No, no, no. No, they pick up the dead corpse of the spider and eat it. That's what it was, yeah. Because you do that? Yeah, because I was asking you why the heck anybody would do that, and we didn't know the answer. Yeah. Uh, Continuing on about the Tangled Web series, Al says, You should, however, read issue four, Severance Package, by Greg Rucka and Eduardo Riso about a lieutenant for the Kingpin that has to tell his boss why a plan was ruined by Spider-Man. Really great stuff. That sounds like a really good character piece. (laughs) Yeah. All in all, still enjoying the show. Looking forward to Thor. Hey, someone wants Thor. Awesome. All right. Okay, on to Kevin Ewing, I'm going to guess. Is that a starfighter in uh, Star Wars? An Ewing? Yes, they do have Ewings. Yes, awesome. Okay. 
Michael and John, I just wanted to say that I have really been enjoying the podcast. My personal theory with early issues of Marvel Comics is limited. Oh, my personal history, sorry, with early issues of Marvel Comics is limited to Spider-Man and X-Men. So besides being entertained, the show has been quite educational as I learn about the dawn of the Marvel Universe. Thanks for providing a fun, smart show to listen to. Marvelously yours, Kevin. I would just like to say, Kevin, anything you think you've learned from us, please double that up with another source or something just to make sure <laughs> that we're not making this up as we go along. Try my best right. to not do that, but always check our information against Snopes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that was a shorty. Yeah. Um, Al writes about episode five. Hey guys, time for me to put in my two cents again, journey into mystery 83. Some interesting thoughts on cultural appropriation. Uh, this is of course the first Thor issue. I would say that even if it didn't turn out that Don Blake was already Thor it would be okay for him to take the hammer because of the inscription. If the hammer didn't think he was worthy, it would have stayed a stick and he would have left it. It's not so much that he deserves it as it is the hammer chose him. Also, since it did turn him into Thor, that means that Asgard is most likely real. The hammer belongs to Asgard, not Norway or Sweden or whichever country <laughs> the story takes place in. That's an interesting point. Interesting way to rationalize that. He's still taking stuff from a game. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Asgard, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the Don Blake and Thor dynamic progresses from Don's mind and Thor's body to the actual Thor that we all know. Yeah, we're still working on that one. Yeah, it's kind of staggering drunkenly along that path, isn't it? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, just listening to our, our our Thor coverage from today's episode, or, or as you're listening last week's episode, and yeah, um, they're 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 changing it along as they go. Mm-hmm. Um, did you know, Mike, that Asgard is not in the Norse myths? No. And I, I could be wrong. And Gene, well, what, do, what do they call it? I think they're just in Norway. So there's no like Rainbow Bridge and all that fun stuff. I could be wrong. Well, we're but I gonna, think that the, the word Asgard is wholly made up for Marvel. We're gonna have to look that up. That's craziness. Yeah. Um, in fact, you you do some googling on Asgard real quick while I read these next couple of paragraphs. Speaking of the original Captain Marvel, I've been doing a reading project of the Fawcett Hero line, and from what I've read so far, Bill and Cap are different people with shared memory. And in the modern versions, it's Billy's mind in control of both bodies. Yes, because you'll often see, like in the Young Justice cartoon, uh, Captain Marvel does a very tries really hard not to sound like a child because he's a child. Okay, so Kevin Ewing, this is why I'm telling you to definitely look up other sources. So according to Wikipedia, in Norse religion, Asgard is one of the nine worlds and home of the something tribe of gods. I can't pronounce that word. A-E, like a weird A-E font looking thing. S-I-R, Acer. Okay, yeah. So I'm, I'm making crap up again. Why am I doing that? I don't see anything about a rainbow bridge, but that must be part of it. Because, you know, Marvel's Well, uh, you could look at the word Bifrost. Oh, yeah, Bifrost. Or I'll do that. Bifrost. My, my my daughter refuses to allow me to call it Bifrost because it's Bifrost. Bifrost tray? Uh, yes, it's also a thing. Okay, so I'm sorry. I should not try to talk about things. I, I, th- I thought I remembered saying that. Somewhere. Well, I was going to be like, go Kirby for making up something super cool like that. But yeah. Well, part of what may have inspired the thought is that Roy Thomas does a whole big laborious thing of tying the Norse myth version of all of these characters into the Marvel Comics version of all these characters and how there was a very specific transition from one to the other. When did he do that? Uh, Roy Thomas has a run on Thor in the um, early 80s. Okay, because there's also like, and I don't remember who did this or whatever, but at some point, like the quote unquote real Thor 
shows up much to Arthur's annoyance. Oh, and, and they go at it, but that was more like in the nineties or two thousands. And I don't know if okay, what that has to do with anything. But now I'm curious if that actually acknowledged because when when I was reading all of the stuff that Roy was doing, he was definitely world building and mythology building. But it was the kind of thing as I was reading, I was like this is really cool. As soon as this ends, we're going to go into Walt Simonson. I wonder if any of this is ever kept around. Yeah, and was it? So I don't know. Uh, um, not with Walter till, Simonson. Uh, Al, huh? Not with Walter Simonson, apparently. Yeah, yeah, no, he does his own thing. Um, and there actually may have been one or two other writers between Thomas and Simonson. But anyways, uh, Sedano goes on with uh, Tales to Astonish 35. Looking back at these original stories makes me realize how close Hank Pym must be to Rita Richards and in intelligence. Most people usually specialize in one thing, like Tony Stark. He's really smart, but I would classify him as more of an electrical engineer. It looks like Hank would probably have multiple degrees, maybe just not as many as Reed. We know he's good at biochemistry and robotics, at least. Don't forget Bruce Banner. That and Reed is is becoming more and more intelligent as we go along. I think like yeah. the first six or so issues, you would kind of be hard-pressed to even find examples of why he's considered intelligent. He just was. But now he's starting to like make crazy machinery on the fly that do very specific things. and Right. And uh, yeah. He is starting to outshine Henry. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Four Six, did Sue give Namor that picture or did he join an FF fan <laughs> club? <laughs> and where'd she get his? That's true. Well, she could have taken it out of an old Marvel comic. Yeah, I guess. I'm pretty sure the creator, I mean, that means she's mooning over a drawing. <laughs> You'd think they would have said a drawing then. They said photo, so. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. I'm pretty sure the creation of Unstable Molecules has been officially credited to Reed, but I'm curious when that'll happen. He could, st- he could still have stolen it. I'm pretty sure that that's also true, but yeah, I've just been trying to argue the opposite just to see how long we can make that happen. Right. Devil advocate, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I thought Namor had the air room in case Sue ever said yes to him. By the way, the Namor series by John Byrne is awesome. It's well worth a read. Yes and yes. I've recently been reading the actual Namor series in Tales to Astonish, and they do a lot of standing on floors in the underwater realm. It's weird. That is weird. Finally, John, your headcanon explanation about Reed's and Sue's relationship is exactly what I have been thinking. I think he's referencing how they broke it off and why they broke it off after Uh, FF1. Yeah. Um, Instead of the writers just forgetting. Right. I wonder if they'll ever visit that. Or, I don't know. Um, Okay, on to Dan Doherty, who writes uh, musings about Makar's Marvel. Greetings, John and Michael. I've been meaning to write into your Marvelous show since his first debut at the end of April. Unfortunately, I kept getting distracted by real life, my busy work schedule, and other shiny things. Ooh, shiny. There's a lot of things I'd like to say about the last couple of episodes, but they're all a bit jumbled, so I'm going to try and bullet point the important things. First bullet. In Fantastic Four number one, the question was asked about the color of the team's spacesuits regarding how similar it was the outfits, the outfits of DC's Challengers of the Unknown. So, yeah, John and I were kind of waffling back and forth as to whether the stuff we were reading was recolored or whether they're always purple or always blue or what the deal was there. So, he says, according to my copies of the original of the origins of Marvel Comics from 1974 and Marvel Masterworks Volume 2 from 1987, they both depict the four spacesuits as being purple. But it should be noted that both books were recolored and do not necessarily represent how these issues were originally presented. In the near future, I am planning on getting the reissued Vagrant Killing Fantastic Four Omnibus in August. Uh, That's a reference to the Fantastic cast. Those Fantastic Four Omnibuses are so big you could kill somebody with them. Ah, So they they frequently joke about uh, clubbing a Vagrant over the head with them. (laughs) 
This reprints the issues with beautiful recoloring that matches the books as they were original. So we're still not sure of the answer, but maybe when he gets those books, he can let us know. Um, in episode 10, Michael kept making jokes comparing Ant-Man to Batman during his synopsis of Tales of to Astonish 38. He missed the most obvious one, and that egghead was also a bat villain on the 1966 television series played by Vincent Price. Yes, but what's wow. what's 1966? We're only in 1963. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good point, though. I didn't think about that one. But that's Batman ripping off Ant-Man instead of the other way around. Sort of. Right. Kind of, yeah. Except Egghead isn't obsessed with eggs or anything. Um, John, I know you want to be a cheerleader who supports everything that comes out, especially movies that allegedly get unfairly vilified by the internet. But after listening to you struggle to defend Josh Trank's 2015 Fantastic Four film, my nickel's worth of free advice to you is don't force yourself. I don't think it's healthy. Uh, hey, now. <laughs> hey, I want to say I thought it was really cool that uh, he sort of – that you sort of uh, didn't do that because I know you really, really wanted to probably. But that just means that maybe what we were saying yeah. weren't just like negative for the na- – negative for negativity's sake, I guess. No, I think there was a lot of thought that went into that. Um you know, so often on the internet, conversation is really just extreme statements with little substance. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really love this. Not a lot of reason. I really, really hate this. Not a lot of reason. Or this is trash without, you know, actually without an actual critique or thought in the expressions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of that on the internet. And that's what I find discouraging is just the, the extreme negativity without any actual critique. And I think on the show, what we did was critique the movie pretty intelligently and um i found it beneficial even though you know a lot of it was stuff i couldn't really find myself arguing with (laughs) you ruined my childhood okay uh while constant vitriolic hate almost always has the exact opposite effect of which it intends and that people will ignore everything you have to say out of spite because you're being a complete uh bad word about things I also think that it's kind of counterproductive to try and find positive things to say about flawed, problematic movies, TV shows, and books, because it sends the false message that there's nothing wrong when clearly there is. See, I'm going to disagree with that, Daniel, and I'm going to do it respectfully, but like, I think it's good to find good stuff in the world. I think it's good to find a piece of art and find stuff about it that is beneficial. Um, It is totally okay to like things that have problems. Uh, it's totally okay to say, yes, I realize this thing has a lot of issues, but you know what? I have fun with it. I enjoy it. And that's just the way things are. Art is cool and subjective that way. Um, it's not a denial that there are problems. It's in fact that someone created a piece of art and they're not perfect and it pleased me. Yeah, and it's, so not, just, it's not always one or the other either. Right. I mean, I just watched Hook yesterday. And I love that movie, but I also know it's full of problems. And if we were to talk about that movie on this show, I'd point those problems out because that's what we're here to do: is critique. I'll do you one. Critique I'll do you one but, better. Yeah, and and I'm, I'm going to get I'm going to get ridiculed probably from Dan and others on this. Um, so Amazon Prime has recently added the Twilight Saga to their streaming video. <laughs> yes, I saw you post that. <laughs> and we watched Twilight last night, and you know what? Screw it all. I like a lot of twilight it's angsty and it's overwrought and oh my god i think Kristen stewart gets an unfair rap because she spends so much of that movie 
with a confused expression on her face and trying to figure out what to do with her emotions. But there are also plenty of parts in that film where she's smiling and she's ebullient and it's, and it's great to see her just being, you know, a girl. And now of course she's like this big, you know, gay icon and it's, it's fantastic. Um, so anyways, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Twilight. <laughs> But anyway, that's what it's uh, All right. Remember, remember, there's a difference between defending an unpopular opinion and eating cardboard and trying to find non-existent nutritional value. Okay. Until you inevitably turn into a Spider-Man podcast, I know where your minds are. Not mine, buddy, but yeah, maybe John's. Um, make mine, make ours Marvel! Exclamation point. So well, th- thanks, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Keep writing in with your thoughts. If we're allowed to disagree with them and have conversations about them, we won't be rude. We won't play down your play down your opinions. But um, but yeah, keep keep writing in. Okay, Al has not written us a comment on the website since June fourth, and this is his last one. Sedano, get on it. Yeah, really. He uh, he says this is about the um, Avengers: Infinity War special. Hey again, I don't have as many thoughts on Infinity War as I have previous episodes. Not because I have nothing to say. But John has pretty much heard all of them before when he did an Infinity War episode of my show, Resurrections at a Morlock and Thanos podcast, episode 77. Yeah, I had two outlets to share thoughts on the show, on the movie. Uh, he says, the thoughts I do have after listening to this episode are, one, I originally was sure that Loki was dead. However, after seeing the movie a second time, I'm not so sure. It seemed weird that Loki would attack Thanos straight on, even if it was a sneak attack. He had been off camera right before this and came back from out of the shadows. I would not be surprised if this is a false or illusion Loki. After all, Thanos only had the power and space stones at the time. If he'd had the mind, soul, or reality stones, he might have been able to see through any ruse, but maybe he didn't. Yeah, I have not bought his death since I saw it. I'm sorry. He dies too many times. It's ridiculous. See, I, I totally bought it until reading this. If this were a comic book, I totally would see them using exactly that uh, logic to bring Loki back. I mean, he so, I, did, I thought he was going to come back in that same movie. Yeah. So I was waiting the whole time. It just seemed like he, he purposely went up and confronted Thanos and he had the, you know, Tesseract or whatever the heck and all that. Just like, yeah, you know, this is he's totally in control of the situation somehow. I don't know how yet, but he's not dead. He's Loki. With the finality of films, I feel like, you know, it might, it might be hope that eventually proves groundless. But, but you know, I, I, I'm not going to commit to anything. Yeah. If Loki comes back, I, I won't be completely surprised, especially now that Al's predicted it and you've predicted it. Y'all were right. I'll be saying it in five years. Yay. Point two, I'm one of the people who prefers a college-age Spidey to a high school one. However, I am fine with them starting Tom Holland in high school. It's not like this is a comic or animated series where they can keep him there forever. Yeah, he could graduate high school in his next movie, for all we know. Right. And that's no problem. And I really, really enjoy Peter and his friend, uh, Ned. Right. So, And I think the hijinks they get up to is much more high school than college right now, which has been really fun. And I'm glad Ned got to make Avengers Infinity War, even if it was just for a couple seconds, but... Yeah, that was neat to see. I like I like Ned. Yeah. The guy in the chair. Yeah. Um, okay, Trey Hooks, right? Um, if the FF is a nonprofit with all excess funds going to scientific research and Reed is the one doing all the scientific research, reading Scientific America to see what he can steal from Hank Pym next, <laughs> then isn't, 
Reed basically saying, no, Johnny, all the money is for me and my toys. You can't have any. Wow. So that is a good point. I guess the question is, why do they make their money on these quote-unquote donations or whatever they get? Like, is it for stopping bad guys? Is it for the scientific discoveries that he comes across? Um, Either way, it seems like having all these gadgets and Reed Richards' inventions are a good thing to keep the FF going. Um, You know, we always talk about how, like, the Marvel Universe is... I like that it, it feels like a real world and all that stuff. But even in the Marvel Universe, just like DC and everything else, it seems like these really brilliant people don't affect our world that much. Mm-hmm. Like if Reed really existed, would, wouldn't we all be flying around in cars by now? You know? Right, right. And they just keep all this stuff to themselves. Iron Man doesn't suit up soldiers or anything like that. Or when he does, he tries to steal a bag in Armor Wars and it's epic. But anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's like – where is the scientific – What's who's benefiting from the research? Is it solely Reed or does any of this stuff trickle down to us? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting thought. But I do like that this is more proof that Reed is a jerk. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're going to need a whole lot of proof. So, uh. Our last email is called Ishmael. Yeah. I'm and it's from my good friend Jason Venable. And it reads, <clears throat> I just emailed – to say I love you. I just emailed to show how much I care. I just emailed to say I love you. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Great show, of course. And that's the end of the email. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Did you know I was going to sing that? Because I totally just sang it. Oh, I knew if it was your turn, it would definitely be sung, yes. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm just going to kind of – did we decide I would just kind of yeah. bullet point uh, – we're going to rapid fire through some Facebook comments we've gotten. Now, I do want to preface this by saying a lot of you have said many supportive things on Facebook and Twitter, and I really appreciate it. I think both of us really appreciate it. And um, – talking about the show to Facebook and Twitter is always appreciated because that helps people know that, Hey, my friend likes this podcast. Maybe I'll like this podcast. So um, I didn't include all of the comments in this, but I tried to pull out stuff that we might have a response to, or at least um, that, you know, you know, whatever. If you're one, so, of, if you're one of the cool kids, he posts. He's going to talk about you. That's how it works. <laughs> I, I, I want to expect opposite of that. Uh, if we don't mention your comment, it's not because we don't love you. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> okay. So in the lead up to the show, we posted several images and teasers about you know the the ad, uh, the trailer getting dropped and everything, and the the show coming out. And one of those was the question of whether Johnny Storm has heard of the original Human Torch, to which Stephen Lacey. Uh, one of the two hosts of the Fantastic Cast, and therefore a very knowledgeable person on things, Johnny Storm, replies, Roy Thomas says yes, but all the actual comics from the 1960s say no. Hmm. So I guess So the answer the time, is no right now? Yeah, where we are right now, no, but that's going to get retconned later, I guess. Actually, yeah, Johnny puts on a red costume for a while to like honor Jim Hammond's original look. Well, I mean, he reads Namer in comics. Why wouldn't he know? Yeah. But anyway... Trey Hook says, really looking forward to the podcast. I'm at the tail end of 1966 in my Marvel Silver Age reading, so a lot of this is still fresh in my mind. That and the fact that Hank Pym is one of my favorite characters. If it wasn't for that infamous panel and issue, I think he'd get more use today. 
Yeah, I think I think I've already said it. I've been enjoying Hank Pym a lot as our like you know standard superhero guy that we currently get to cover. So yeah, it is kind of a shame that I know his future. And I, I think he's cool. I think um, his comic is a really great avenue or really great venue for uh, one of Marvel's biggest early female characters. Mm-hmm. We've already got to record some adventures with Jan. Um, y'all just haven't heard him yet, but she's pretty awesome. Um, Frank Roach left us a four star review on Facebook before we came out. Yay. Angus Livingston writes, it's good to hear you guys podcasting again between amazing Spider-Man classics, teenage wasteland and legends of the Batman. I feel like I've spoken to you guys for hours about comics, even though I've never actually spoken to either of you <laughs> enjoying the show and looking forward to more. Cool. Curtis Findlay writes, Hey guys, love the show. Be a faithful listener. However, as per your sign off in this episode, the gargoyle did have a son that looks just like him named gremlin. So I guess you can't make yours Marvel anymore. <laughs> Boy, they were really thrown by that when we first started this, huh? I, I yeah, yeah. That's cool. It's, it, it's fun. Yeah. Um, Angus Livingston left a five-star review on Facebook. It says, been following since episode one and loving the show. It's quickly becoming my favorite podcast I listen to every week. I listen at work, and even though new episodes drop on Fridays, I look forward to starting my week at work with this show every Monday. Keep up the great work. That's fantastic. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Angus. I'm glad we are. I, being a listener of many podcasts, I know that um, that special place you give to those podcasts that you listen to first when they come out. I realize that that's a that's a thing, and so we that's really cool that we're there for you. Um, going over to Twitter, Josh Bertoni wrote. Uh-oh. Sometimes I forgot that I'm engaged. Happens more often than you'd think. The weird <laughs> thing is that when he reproposes years later, he acts shocked when she reveals she loves him. <laughs> I think we've headcanoned this enough that it's not going to be too surprising or too un- too weird that that's the way it is. I'm I I think it's going to be weird if she's shocked that if he's shocked that she likes him though. But we'll see. We'll see how that goes yeah. out. I guess. Yeah. My daughter left a small comment, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention it um, when I was uh, hyping up the show and I had a, a thing saying the show's going to be fantastic. She replied, "But will it be Mister?" Oh. Yes. I see what she did there. Um, Tom Galpin, who writes, really enjoying the podcast, especially the discussion about Marvel hedging their bets with a superhero slash monster mag mashup at FF1. Well done, guys. Thank you. We totally just made that up. But I think yeah. I think it's right. But I think it works it, for those early it, issues for several of the heroes. Yeah, it makes perfect sense when you read it. We have some appreciation for our synopsis style. Jason Venable writes, Dear Makers Marvel, I'm loving the blind synopses. Sincerely, your number one, number four fan. <laughs> and Hidden Ranger replies, Agreed, the blind synopsis is a great idea. I haven't seen a podcast do before. Synopsis are usually pre-written or just ignored completely. Yeah. And I so, didn't want to pre-write. And I don't kind of like ignoring because I know sometimes I never read the po- the comics they were talking about. So mm-hmm. it's nice to get something nowadays, in there. I, I really prefer synopsizing on the fly whenever I'm doing uh, that for a show somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll read the comic and be familiar with it. I can just go through the page and say, okay, and this happens, and then this happens. Yeah. Um, it does have to be a recent read, though. Because oh, yeah. Because otherwise, and this happened once. I was on um, Ryan Daly's show. Ryan, if you're listening. And um, I was supposed to talk about this the Mr. America origin. And it had been a week or two since I had read it. It was very, like, dialogue-heavy story. So I'm looking at the pictures going, what the heck is happening here? I do not remember. And um, he did his best to keep me from sounding like too much of an idiot. So I appreciate that, Ryan. Um, 
Dr. Spidey, a.k.a. Scott McElroy, writes, really enjoying the deep dive into Marvel history that's offered by listening to Magar's Marvel. I'm going to use listening to it as an excellent excuse to finally crack open my unread Marvel Masterworks trades and review my red ones. Heck so, yeah. Um, he later said, looking forward to actually reading the Johnny story in Strange Tales 101 in my softcover Masterworks before listening. I'm very curious, Scott. Do you regret reading the Strange Tales stories from Johnny Storm? They get better, sort of. Or or we're just drinking more Kool-Aid. Or we're One just or drinking other. more Kool-Aid, yes. They don't bother me at all anymore. It's weird. It is kind of strange. <laughs> I think I think to, con- to contrast us with the Fantastic Cast, the Fantastic Cast was really down on the Strange Tales, but the only thing they had to compare it to was Fantastic Four. Yeah, so there's that. I mean, we're throwing in a bunch more. Like, sometimes Thor is miserable or Ant-Man is miserable, too, so... I think it's easier to see how Strange Tales fits in with the other Marvel comics and how compared to the other stuff that Marvel was doing, it's it's, it's pretty it's kind of standard fare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's comparable. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to just kind of getting a more mature Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a few more months before we, before we start getting into that. Jason Venable got a kick out of our notion that marry, uh, like the verb to marry someone is a euphemism in these comics. Oh. He sh- he showed a couple of Fantastic Four panels with Reed chasing after Sue and Thing made a comment about how they were going to go schmooze when he finally catches her. And Black Panther says that he's going to show his gratitude for everything the team has done. And Jason says, I wonder if schmooze and gratitude <laughs> mean the same thing as Mary in 60s Marvel. <laughs> yes. I am all for Black Panther showing his gratitude with the Fantastic Four. They seem to have like a big old 4G. <laughs> Oh, um, Gene Gene, the podcasting king, writes, You asked, I'll answer since I'm the Norse guy. Thor and Loki are definitely not brothers. In fact, Odin and Loki took a blood oath, so they have more of a brother relation than Thor and Loki would. Thor is more like a friend, although one that doesn't trust Loki fully. Odin and Loki took a blood oath? That's what he says. Wow, that's interesting. Okay. He also helped point out the error when I said, you're a god, you're all about tyranny. He writes, uh, no, the Norse gods aren't like that. Putting Marvel aside, since they haven't shown them much, the lore shows a group that doesn't interfere all that much in the affairs of Midgard. They get involved when asked, but that's it. Yeah, it's probably more about shenanigans back then, huh, for those guys, but... Yeah, and I guess it's probably similar for the Greek myths. Yeah. Like, most of the myths are about them doing their own thing. Not necessarily about getting involved with the affairs of mortals. Yeah, it was about punishing each other and having kids and stuff. And Zeus sowing all of his oats with all of the women. Exactly. He had to, like, propagate our entire planet or something. And I totally misrepresented uh, Gene when he uh, followed us and I described his – because his Twitter handle is The Hammer Strikes. Mm -hmm. And it's named after his podcast and blog. And somehow I'd gotten in my head the wrong notion of his – um, show being the Hammer Horror films, but he writes, you know, one of the things I've never covered on my show is Hammer Horror. <laughs> Interesting thought, though. <laughs> so what does he cover then, Thor? The blog and podcast is just like the tag says, random geeky stuff. Okay. So he's talked about anything from Star Trek to anime to mythology to TV shows. Um, but he does point out that the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. <laughs> I love that title. I'm going to say it again. The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror on two true freaks is currently going through the hammer horror films so that's probably where the confusion came in i'm sorry if you're calling your blog the hammer strikes can you please either dedicate it to thor or hammer films because 
<laughs> it's it just, it to just us. makes more sense to me. But anyway, well, I think since he's a Norse aficionado, or I think he fine, is Norse the mythology. Well, I think he the hammer strikes is just like him being oh, about things he's into. I see. Okay. Um, Scott McElroy told me you need to convince Michael Kaiser to cover all the Sergeant Fury issues on Make Ours Marvel. Well, that wasn't that hard. Yeah, we're on our way. I was fine with it. Todd Schoonover wants to remind us that while Egghead was turning Ant-Man's ants against him, Lightning Lad gave his life to save Saturn Girl. I think he's trying to show us a, a difference in the storytelling levels of DC and Marvel. Well, that's cherry picking. Yeah, because Superman was also getting his head turned into a lion. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could just... That's like those like memes, memes where it's like, you know, music today is so much worse than, you know, back then. It's like, well, yeah, you're picking... Super amazing classics and stuff we hate now and comparing them together. Maybe I was just pointing out a DC comic story that came out at the same time. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. So in the month of Egghead's first appearance, that was whenever Lightning Lad um, died to save Saturn Girl. We all know Lightning Lad could not handle Egghead, so I'm not really sure what his point is. But (laughs) I do like the whole Lightning Lad death thing because it was a while that he was dead. but It was almost immediate. That they started narrating, will Lightning Lad stay dead? Lightning Lad stay dead, or will they find a way to revive him? And I was just like, wow, okay, way to kill the suspense. Yeah, really. Um, okay, and the last Twitter feedback that I have is from Rob Kelly at Treasury Comics. Okay, Ooh. Marvel, make ours Marvel. Settle in. Here's my theory based on comments you've made on past episodes of the show. In the newest episode of the show, as he as he writes, you mentioned the many similarities between Paste Pot Pete and Spider Man. Aside from the first name, you've also wondered why Peter Parker's Aunt May and Uncle Ben were so much older than Peter, even though they're ostensibly the brother or sister of Peter's parents. He's a teenager. How the heck old were they? So here's my theory. Paste Pot Pete is Spider-Man's father. (laughs) PPP, obsessed with his scientific prowess, used to turn to crime. His turn to villainy somehow got his wife killed and eventually jailed. During those years, May and Ben took young Peter and spirited him away. May and Ben are not Peter's aunt and uncle. They're his grandparents. They did this to help cover their trail so PPP wouldn't be able to find them. Young Peter inherited his father's penchant for science, but under their loving care turned out well instead of like his dad. And then like he discovered the glue paste formula or something? I guess he has, you know, you have to watch out for Peter. He has too much of his father in him. Uh Uh-huh. We've heard that before. That's just what I'm afraid of, right? Yeah. Um, I told Rob that this is terrible and that he should be ashamed of all of his life choices. <laughs> uh, we're never going to read about the trapster the same way again. Nope. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be like Sabretooth and Wolverine. Yeah. The always will they, won't they father son thing. Yeah. Oh, you've given us some new headcanon, Rob. Thank you very much. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wow. That was our feedback. Nice. That was good. We'll um, just do that once a year phone. or something like that. I don't have my phone near me. Do we have any new iTunes reviews? We don't. I looked earlier. We have the one before we even came out that said, looking forward to this. And I can't remember who did that. But thank you very much for, yeah. for writing that. Because that's our one rating we have on, on iTunes. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, um, that did not take nearly as long as I thought it was going to take, honestly. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah, Just about an hour. I'm glad we waited this long mm-hmm. because it would have been a tiny episode. Yeah. So we'll just, I don't know how many we had here, like 10, 12, something like that. Just, just 
do it every so often. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I guess we're going to wrap this up. I do, um, especially since we haven't gone too long, um, I do want to mention at this point that we just heard just before recording the episode that Steve Ditko has died. He was 90 years old. Um, it's one of the few celebrity names that finding out they pass is actually kind of affecting me. Um, cause Spider-Man was such a huge, important part of my childhood and a huge, important part of my finding my self-esteem as a very awkward picked on kid. Um, I saw Flash Thompson in so many of people at school and, um, you know, just seeing how, you know, Peter was able to stand up to him and kind of, you know, throw, throw humor back. I don't know. I just, I realized there was somebody out there who was like me and, you know, Steve gave us that story. Steve gave us those stories and, and Stanley put the words in their mouths, but the art is the thing that, that sells it. And without Steve Ditko, Spider-Man who helped me become a person I am would not have existed. And so I'm actually really sad. I mean, not sad that he's died, but appreciative for all the things he gave. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Strange is cool too. <laughs> well, it's neat that, you know, right now we're so inundated with Kirby creating this Marvel universe that then here comes Ditko, who really made a much different, but still interesting impact. Yeah. And visually. Yeah. And yeah the visuals are, are amazing. And, just humanity and the the faces and everything else. The it's it's just crazy the way he can do with a pencil. Yeah. But um. So yes, uh, I have a lot of love for that man who I think had a really hard time fitting into the world around him. And all I can say is I sympathize. I sympathize. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, that wraps up our feedback. It does. Um. If you want us to do another one of these soon, then send in your feedback. Uh, drop comments on um, Facebook, on Twitter, saying things about the content of the show. Send us emails. Leave comments on the on the on the website. Or, Although we're getting a lot of spam on that website. Well, that's good. That means we're getting a lot of hits on that website. And I clicked delete on 119. That's why spam. That's ones. why that filter is there. <laughs> also, iTunes. If you want to leave us reviews on iTunes now, that the show's actually out. Like John said, I think we had the one that was. You know, before the first episode even came out. So uh, now that you actually know what we sound like, you can rate us more effectively, probably. Yes, yes, yes. And um, there's one other thing I was going to say. I thought about it, and then I lost it. So was it? Did it have to do with the dog? <laughs> did you hear that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god, he's quiet to me, but he uh, is outside. Uh. Um, he's somebody else's dog. Oh. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, um, we will do another one of these in a few months. This was 13 episodes in, so that's that's exactly a quarter of the year. Maybe we can do this a quarterly thing. Uh, so if there's a lot of feedback when we get around to the next quarter ending, we'll do another one of these. Yeah. Until then, thanks, everybody, for writing in. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye.